Kelly. Thank you, team. Good morning, church. How are you? It is good to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, listen, uh, before we get started, we're going to have a moment of prayer in just a minute. We always have lots of things uh, to pray for, but this coming Saturday, we've got a team uh, that is heading out on mission once again. We've already had some teams go out and come back. We've prayed for our students who've gone out and come back, uh, but this Saturday, we've got a team heading out to Ensenada. Uh, how many of y'all have been on the Ensenada trip before? Anybody? Yes, lots of us in the room. Uh, this is a trip we've been doing for years now, and it's been great to be able to build on what the Lord has done, uh, but a massive team uh, from our church is going to build houses uh, for those who do not have them, but even more than that, they're going to be sharing the gospel with those people we're building houses for, with all the people that they meet, uh, and I always love to hear the stories of what God does through our team uh, as they serve, and so you can see, this is actually, we've got two slides worth of folks uh, who are heading out, uh, lots of people, uh, we're excited about that, that's a lot of fun. Um, and look, you, got, you probably know a lot of these names. A lot of your names might be up here. You might be watching uh, today online or listening. Uh, you can't, if you're on podcast, you can't see any of that. But uh, for the rest of us, you can see all the folks, well over 50 people heading out on mission this next week. We want to pray for their safety. We want to pray for the Lord to move powerfully through them. We want to pray for opportunities to share the gospel uh, and that he would change lives through our brothers and sisters as they go this week. If you're in the room and you are going on the trip uh, this week, raise your hand if you would. Raise your hand and keep it up. Uh, take a look around. Uh, you can see some of these folks who are here. We'll have more uh, next service as well. We got students, we got families, we got adults, lots of people going on. Uh, and look, if you know some of these names, in just a second when we pray, I hope that you'll bring those names to mind. Pray for them specifically today and then also this coming week uh, as they prepare to go and next week as they are on mission. Uh, we are going to pray in just a second, uh, but there's a lot of people to pray for. We've had uh, folks in our church who've had uh, un incredible victories this week, and the Lord has come through in phenomenal ways, uh, and we have families in our church that are going through unimaginable loss. Uh, and that is true not just for us in this room, for maybe you're watching at home. Um, and so we want to lift up a prayer for them as well. So bow your heads with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are steadfast in the midst of all of the trails of life, Father, through the losses, through the successes, on days where we, it is so clear to see your hand at work, and then on days where it is hard to see you at all, you do not change. You are solid and steadfast, and for that we give you praise and glory and just thanks that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, Lord, you are with us, and you will not leave. And so, Lord, we ask that, uh, Father, that presence for those who are mourning and grieving, who are struggling, who are confused. Father, who may not be able to sing the song that we just sang, Father, because they still find themselves in the throes of, of despair. Would you be the one to reach out to them and hold them when they don't know how to hold you? Lord, we are grateful for how you have moved this week in bringing uh, friends through surgery, Father, for bringing answers to prayer, for so many other things that you've done. Lord, we give you praise. And Lord, we do want to pray for our brothers and sisters as they go out by your call to serve you. You told us to go and make disciples of all nations, Father, and we will be heading to a different nation, Lord, this week. Through our brothers and sisters who will go to physically be your hands and feet, to build houses for people who have none. Father, also to carry your gospel to people who don't know you yet. 
And so, Lord, would you speak powerfully? Would you open up specific conversations? Would you mark out specific moments, Father? Would you just help us to reflect your love and life, to speak your gospel, that your kingdom would continue to come and your will would continue to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray a blessing on this entire trip. Father, for their travels, Father, for their safety as they build. But Lord, above all, would you move powerfully in them and through them as they go to serve others in your name this week. We pray a blessing on the entire Ensenada trip. And Father, we just ask your blessing in all these ways. We love you. We ask your blessing on all of them. And we all said, amen. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles if we will. Let's go to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4 is where we're going to be today as we continue our sermon series, walking through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. A couple things as you were turning there. Happy 4th. It's the 4th of July weekend. I know we got a lot of folks who might be out traveling this weekend, who might be watching or listening uh, at home. Uh, But it is always a time for us to say thanks to the Lord for the nation that we live in. That we have the freedom to worship, we have the freedom to gather together. Uh, There are unbelievable blessings because of the nation that we live in. It's an opportunity to be able to celebrate that, but more often just to say thank you, Lord, for the country that we live in. And so I'm glad we'll get to celebrate today. Uh, We are also celebrating today with all of our kids in the room. Today does mark a shift for us every summer. We have six weeks where our kids, who are normally up on the second floor, uh, worshiping kids' worship, are joining us in the room. And and so we get an opportunity to worship as full families. Can we as adults welcome all the kids in the room today and say, hey, we're glad you're here. So welcome, guys. I talk a little bit longer than Mr. James. Buckle up. All right, so... Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun, and we are really glad that you are here in worship with us today. We are in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Uh, hopefully I have given you enough time to actually find it in the Old Testament. All right, so Daniel chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We have been walking with Daniel and three of his friends as they attempt to live in the world, but not to become of the world. They were taken from their home when they were teenagers, and they were taken to a foreign land. They were going to be joined by a lot of other people from their home, but, but they're put in a foreign land and because they made a choice and said, I am not going to become like the culture around me. I have to live in this culture. They're actually going to be elevated to, to high positions of authority in this very different culture. They're going to interact every single day. They are not going to become like that culture. And that starts with the decision in chapter 1 where they say, hey, we're not going to defile ourselves with the things of this culture. And the Lord blesses them for that. In chapter 2, we saw this this, uh, ability that God gives to Daniel to interpret dreams. And we lifted up the name of the Lord to say there is a God in heaven. And then last week, uh, we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their pagan names that were given to them. Uh, But when given a command to bow down to the culture... With gentleness and respect, they said, we can't do that. We serve the one true God. And for that, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. But the Lord brought them through and out of that furnace in sight of all of these people. So again, we are watching uh, people who love the one true God, who love Yahweh, wrestling with how do you live in the culture but not become of the culture. This week in chapter 4, we actually see something very unique in that we're going to actually get to hear from Nebuchadnezzar himself. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is this Babylonian king who has brought all of these people to his nation, but this week we actually get to hear from him himself. 
And before we start reading, I need to let you know, uh, there's been a large time jump from where we were last week. The first three chapters really kind of follow close on the heels of each other. Since last week, 20 to 30 years has passed by. We don't know exactly how long has gone by, but decades have gone on. Nebuchadnezzar is going to reign for over 40 years. So somewhere between 20 and 35 years has elapsed since the end of chapter 3. So Daniel and his friends are now grown up. They've been serving in the government for years and years now. They are much older. But let's hear what happens in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they couldn't make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And it was, uh, in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the air lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that, these might, that the living might know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and he sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men in my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. His thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the ends of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and its which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. 
Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. That you shall be driven from among men, and that your dwelling will be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Let's stop right there. So yet again, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's been decades since he's had a dream like this one. I'm sure he's had others. But he's had all of his astrologers and everybody, and they've been interpreting them. But, but this one, nobody can interpret for him. And so he finally calls in Daniel, the chief of the wise men. He says, Daniel, I know that you can do this. And so here is my dream. Can you tell me its interpretation? And it's interesting here how Daniel responds because it says he was dismayed. Look at verse 19 and it says this. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Daniel answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Things have changed in the past 20 to 30 years. Daniel has been serving with, with Nebuchadnezzar for decades. And while he has not adopted the religion of, of Babylon, he has not changed who he is, I'm sure he has built up a strong working relationship. So much so that there's genuinely some respect here. There's care, there's care and concern. And so when he hears the dream, he instantly knows by word of the Lord what this dream means. And he's worried for the king. He is worried for what is about to happen to this person that he's been working with for 20 to 30 years. But he's going to do something that nobody else is going to do. He is going to tell him the interpretation. Now, in looking at this dream, you know, I said, Adam, this one wasn't so hard to figure out. All right? The, the first one with the whole little, you know, statue thing, I had no idea. This one seems a little bit more self-explanatory. Why is it that nobody could interpret the dream? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, uh, it could be that these guys who were so deep in all of this lore and, and, and these books about dreams, that they just got so much in their head, they just couldn't figure it out. It's also possible that some of them did figure it out. They were just scared to tell the king. They didn't want to tell him that. It seems like it's not a very good interpretation, and who wants to tell him that? Daniel, though, though he is dismayed, though he doesn't want to say it, is going to speak the hard truth to the king. He's going to tell the most powerful man in the world he needs to change, that something's wrong here. And this is actually an act of love on Daniel's part. You see, sometimes the Lord is actually going to call us to do that. Sometimes he will call us to speak sometimes hard truths to people that we care about. Now, that is never fun, is it? 
I kind of resonate with Daniel because sometimes as pastor, this becomes part of my job where I am required by the Lord to say things that people do not want to hear. I have to remind them that, hey, this is what God says, and it's different from what you're doing. This is what the Bible calls sin, and, and people typically don't like to be told that they're sinning. Did you ever know that? They, they don't. They don't enjoy it, right? Maybe you've had a moment where you've had to say something hard to a friend, or maybe you didn't, because that happens too, right? There's a reason we shy away from these conversations. There's a reason we don't want to say hard things to those that we love. Because we know how they'll probably react. They might get angry. They might get angry at us. They might lash out at us. It, it might strain the friendship. And so we just decide not to say anything. You ever do that? I would see this back when I was single and dating. It happened to me. It happened to other people where maybe somebody's dating somebody and they're not the best. And everybody around them knows it's not the best, but nobody says anything, right? Until there's the massive breakup or the terrible divorce. And they're going, man, I can't believe this happened. And we all go, oh, yeah, man, we all saw that coming a mile. Well, then why didn't you tell me? You knew the whole time and you never told me? How, why didn't you just tell me? This whole time, oh, we didn't want to upset you. Well, there's, it would have been better if you had told me sooner. See, here's the thing. When you and I fail to say the hard things, when we fail to speak the truth in love, we're actually being selfish. When you and I fail to speak the truth in love, we're actually being selfish. We just want to keep the peace. We don't want to go through the pain or the weirdness of, of having there be a strain. It is actually less loving to fail to speak. Because if somebody is going to be hurt, if somebody's going to be wounded by this, we need to have the courage to speak the truth to them. And when you and I have friends who speak hard truths to us, we need to have the grace to listen. See, these are the kind of friends that you want. The kind of friends that can say hard things to you. Check this out. This is Psalm 141, verse 5. Uh, listen to what Scripture says. It says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. You know, my prayers, we don't need the last line. All right, so, uh, that was all, that's my fault. All right, so look what he says. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Why? Why would I be happy about a friend of mine punching me in the face? That doesn't sound good. Well, the question we need to be asking is, is like, if he's a righteous person, why is he punching you? Righteous people aren't in the habit of just throwing punches everywhere. Righteous people, people who love you, who care about you, aren't in the habit of throwing rebukes at you. And so if they do, there must be a reason. And that reason is not they hate me. That reason is not they don't like me. It's not the reason they don't understand. It's because they care. Look at another one. This is from Proverbs. It says this. Uh, it's Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of of a friend. If someone truly loves you, if they see you heading off into destruction, if they see you heading towards a cliff, they are going to say, stop. And sometimes that means they're going to have to wound you, sometimes with their words to say, hey, listen, you may not want to hear this, but this is not okay. What you're doing is not okay. These are the actions of someone who loves you. Enemies will just let you run off the cliff. Enemies don't care. They will flatter you. Enemies will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Enemies will tell you exactly what you want to hear and nothing else. But someone who is a true friend is someone who will actually speak the truth to you. Is there a situation where maybe the Lord is saying, hey, I'm going to need you to speak the truth here. 
I'm going to need you to actually say the hard thing. Because you love somebody, because you care about them, we're going to need to speak the hard truths. Or maybe we need to be listening to a hard truth today. Maybe someone has spoken that to us and we need to listen. If we recognize that this is not an enemy, this is somebody who has proven that they care for us, who's proven that they love us, and if they're saying something hard, perhaps we need to listen and not refuse the oil of blessing that the Lord wants to pull on us in the midst of it. So Daniel does not shirk from his responsibility. In fact, it gives him an opportunity to give a warning. Kick down to verse 27 and look what it says. It says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He speaks boldly. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not a good dream. This is not a good interpretation. So please, I implore you, repent. Stop sinning. Stop oppressing the poor. Stop acting like a tyrant. Stop these these practices that are clearly unholy. You know that these things are wrong. Why will you not leave off your sinful ways? He spells it out in detail. Stop oppressing the poor. Stop committing sins. You need to repent and recognize that there is a God who is above you. He speaks plainly. He speaks clearly here. He says, repent. But he doesn't. Nebuchadnezzar is not going to listen. And there's a reason why he won't listen. I wonder if you know what it is. Can can you already guess it? Why when somebody comes and offers you a rebuke in love, they offer you truth, but in love, why is it that he will not hear what God has to say to him? Let's finish out the chapter and see what happens. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are as accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor, they returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. There it is. 
That's the reason. Why does Nebuchadnezzar have to go through this humiliation? Why does he have to go through this terrible trial? It's because of his pride. Because Nebuchadnezzar is so proud, because he is so wise in his own eyes, he is the center of his own universe, he cannot see anyone outside of himself. He cannot see the greatness of God. He cannot see anything, and therefore the Lord is going to humble him that he might know that only the most high rules above all. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar here going mad. Now, what happens here in verse 28, uh, it says that he's on his palace and he is looking out over his vast kingdom. Uh, this is how we know, by the way, that we are 20 to 30 years later. History tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was a prolific builder. He built all kinds of things in Babylon. He was a massive uh, worker, an architect, uh, building all of these things out. And so after 20, 30 years of these massive building campaigns, he could look out and see all the changes that he had wrought upon Babylon. And so he spent these decades, and as he looked out, his heart just swells with pride at all the things that he has done. It's been 12 months since that crazy dream. 12 months since he had this conversation with Daniel. I'm sure he was probably initially scared, but a year later, he's thinking, man, that pro dream probably didn't mean anything. It wasn't an interpretive dream. It was just a dream. I ate something weird. It, it couldn't possibly have meant anything because look at all that I have done. Look at all that I have accomplished. He has no thought, no regard for the Lord. He has not heeded his warning, and so the Lord drives him mad. Specifically, he will have a specific type of mental illness. Uh, today, we would call this boanthropy. That's a word I learned this week. Uh, it, it happens to people even today where people think that they, either, they are either a cow or an ox. And so they get down on all four and they think they're an ox. And they will go and they will eat grass. There's a related one that you might uh, recognize more called lycanthropy. Uh, that's where people think that they're turning into wolves. Uh, this is where we get the myth of werewolves, which kids, there's no such thing as werewolves. But there are people who actually think that they're turning into wolves. That's lycanthropy. If you think you're a cow, then this is boanthropy, and this is what has happened. He literally loses his mind. He goes around on all fours, eating grass. <laughs> King of the earth. <laughs> and this goes on for a while. The Bible says it's going to be seven times. How long is that? We don't know. Uh, a lot of people assume that's seven years, uh, but this word time or times uh, shows up a lot in the book of Daniel. It is purposely vague, and so we don't know. I doubt it's seven days. It's not 70 years, uh, but it, it could be seven years. It could be seven months. It could be sometime in between, uh, but this is a seven periods of time are going to pass over him where he is living outside. He can't be brought in. He is eating grass like an ox. And look, if that sounds weird to you or like this sounds fantastic as if it might not happen again, the same kind of thing happens uh, to people today. It's rare, but it occurs. And honestly, this same thing sometimes can happen to us. We just don't recognize it because it happens in slow motion. Because many of us, uh, if the Lord wills, we're going to live into a ripe old age. The, the problem is, is that as you get older, that gets harder. And sometimes your abilities begin to leave you. And your energy begins to leave you. Sometimes your minds begin to leave you. 
and slowly over time, we actually lose this vitality that we once had. The Lord just kind of collapses this into a singular experience for Nebuchadnezzar. And, and again, this actually is doable. You say, Adam, there's no way that this emperor loses his kingdom for seven years and then he gets it back at the end. Stranger things have happened. There have been all kinds of incidences where people had illnesses that were hidden. Think about Howard Hughes towards the end of his life, this massive, amazingly rich guy who just went nuts towards the end of his life, and nobody knew it for years. What about FDR? who was in a wheelchair, and nobody knew it for years. The press concealed this from everybody else and was still able to lead the world. It's very possible. Actually, the historical record does not speak, curiously, uh, about the last 30 years of Nebuchadnezzar's life. We don't have a whole lot of details, so this is absolutely very possible. This is actually the only historical record that we have. But the most important thing here is the contrast. It's the contrast between this great man, this great builder, this emperor, this, this king of kings and lord of lords now being reduced down to a cow on all fours with no reason. He can't control anything. He has lost everything. He is humbled. Why? Well, there's, there is a purpose behind this. You see, God's going to teach them something very specific. Look at this. This actually shows up uh, all throughout the book. There's four different places you're going to see the same thing all throughout this chapter. In verse 17, it says, To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules. Verse 25, Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 26b, Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. And then verse 32b, Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. It becomes this drumbeat. This is the point. This is the purpose. God is saying you need to understand that there's a God who's greater than you. You need to understand that there is a king above even the king of kings, above this, this emperor. There is a God who actually controls all things and gives the kingdom to who he will. You did not get this by yourself. He's humbling King Nebuchadnezzar to say, it does not matter how great you can be on this planet, there is always a God who is above you. Do you lift your eyes to see that the most high rules or are we blinded by ourselves? Now look, there's a temptation here to pile on, right? Nebuchadnezzar is not a great guy. He's terribly arrogant. You can read it in almost everything he says. And it will be very easy just to pile on and go, yeah, get him. Man, look at that guy. He's getting what he deserves. I, I can't believe that guy. I hope he crawls around for years. Look at all the things he's done. I bet he oppressed all kinds of people. Yeah, get him, God, for all the evil things that he has done. But let's not be too hasty about that. Because the same thing that afflicts this emperor is the same thing that afflicts us as well. Because it's not just ancient Near Eastern uh, tyrants who deal with pride. It's us. And while you and I might not rule over a vast personal kingdom, we actually come closer to that than most of us like to admit. See, we don't rule entire nations, but there is a kingdom that you and I rule. In fact, you're encouraged to rule it. Here in America, there's an idea that we have bought, hook, line, and sinker. It is this, is that you are a monarch. You are a king. You are a queen. And you reign over the kingdom of me. It's the kingdom of me. 
Now, my kingdom doesn't extend to you, and your kingdom does not extend to me, but I reign over my own personal kingdom. You get to reign over your own personal kingdom. This is radical, expressive individualism. We are encouraged to say, within your own kingdom, you can do whatever you want. Within your kingdom, you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want, believe whatever you want. Think about the things that are just valued in our culture. Our culture tells you, live your truth. You can invent your own. Morality does not exist above all of us. You get to determine right and wrong. You can't determine for everybody else, but you do get to determine it for you. You decide that this is right for you. You decide if this is wrong for you. You get to make up all your rules. You can define your gender. Invent it. Change it. At will. Whatever day of the week it is. You do not have to be beholden by biology. You can create your own. Why? Because you are the king. You are the queen. You invent this yourself. Your identity matters more than anything. Whatever you choose, whatever you say, whatever you think, within your kingdom, you are supreme. Don't put that on anybody else, but inside your kingdom, you bow to no one. And this is what all of us drink in. Whether we would count ourselves part of the culture or not, this is the air that we breathe. This is kind of how we live. And if we are not careful, this is exactly how we will begin to act. We will assume it's all about us. Again, it's been so weird to watch the backlash of the Supreme Court decision from last week. And as we watch protests unfold all across the nation, I honestly don't think every single person protesting is just chomping at the bit to run and go have this procedure that has been limited in our culture. Why then are so many people angry? I believe it's because somebody dared to say there's something that you cannot do. And that angers us. No one can tell me what I can do. Nobody can tell me what I can't do. I must be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. No one limits me with anything. And when anybody says there's a right, there's a rule, there's a reign above us, it bothers us. Why? Because we're kings and queens. We're monarchs of our own domain. But are we? Is that actually true? Because see, look, if you have a problem with authority, if you have a problem with institutions, if you have a problem with other people, that ought to be a warning sign. Because if we have this idea that we are the ultimate authority in everything, I don't know if that's actually true. That might be prideful. Look what it says in Jude chapter 8. Jude's talking about this culture. He's talking about people who don't follow the Lord. And listen to what he says. He says, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. I will have no authority. I am the authority. I define right and wrong. I make my own decisions. I am beholden to no one except myself. And look, this, this manifests itself in lots of different ways. You see this manifested in Adam and Eve, the very first sin. Adam and Eve didn't hate God. They weren't anti-God. They just didn't want to be under God. They're fine to rule with God, beside God, but not under. Not under. God, we want to help make the rules too. God, we want to make the decisions too. We want to be a part of the process too. I will not bow the knee to anyone. And if you root down underneath almost every single sin, sooner or later at its core, you will find pride. Regardless of whether we rule over nations, we feel this desire to rule. To say, no, 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 I, I, I make up all the rules. I bow to no one. It, it can express itself in saying, I, that nobody can tell me rules. Nobody can tell this is right. Nobody can tell me this is wrong. And it ends up in licentiousness. You can go the opposite way. It can end up in self-righteousness. 
And you can say, oh, no, 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 I'm not like any of those people. I go to church. I do all the right things, which is why I am so much better than Nebuchadnezzar. I am so much better than the culture. I am so much better than all these sinful people. I am so much better than everyone else. You see, I deserve what God gives to me. Do you hear it? You hear the pride? You can get it on all sides. It's dangerous. It's subtle. And it afflicts everybody. If you wonder if you wrestle with pride or not, just ask yourself this question. When you make decisions, do you consult the Lord at all? Does he even come to mind? Buying a car, buying a house, moving somewhere, doing some new thing. Do we even think about the Lord? Then a follow-up question. Once you have thought about the Lord, do you actually do what he says? Even when we don't like it. Even when that's not what we would have initially chosen. Do we submit? Or do we simply take it under advisement and do what we were going to do anyway? Okay, that's pride. We're doing the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. We fail to see, we fail to lift up our eyes and recognize the most high rule. That there is a God who is greater than us. We are not kings and queens unto ourselves. We did not create ourselves. We can't keep ourselves here. We we can't even truly stave off death. We're not fully in control. These are gifts from God to us. And what the Lord is trying to do, he's trying to wake us up. To lift up our eyes that we would see that there is a God who is in heaven and it is not us. What do you do when you find your pride challenged? If that makes you angry, this frustrates us, that's natural, but let me remind you this as well from the text. This is not simply God bringing Nebuchadnezzar low. This is an act of mercy on his part. This is actually an act of love. See, it'd be very interesting to assume that this is judgment. That God's just judging him. He's going to give Nebuchadnezzar what he deserves. But that's actually not the case. This is discipline. He's trying to help him. Let that sink in for a second. God's trying to help this pagan king who's not a part of Israel. God's reaching out even to him. He's trying to speak Even to him. He said, Adam, how do you see that? Because all through this passage, you see the mercy of God. Where do we see it? First off, you're going to see it in the dream. God gives him a dream. Didn't have to do that. Could have just driven him mad right then. Why the speed bump? Because he's trying to get his attention. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, wake up. Wake up from your slumber. I'm going to give you this dream. I'm going to, I'm going to bother you. I'm going to try to get your attention here. But he's going to give him a dream to wake him up. Then secondly, there's the gift of Daniel. Daniel's right there. Daniel is there to interpret. Let's talk about Daniel's presence there. Why is Daniel here? God brought him there. He's literally given Daniel as a gift to Belteshazzar to say, there's someone here who knows me. There's somebody here who speaks my word. There's somebody here who can tell you the plain truth. And that's what Daniel does. He produces it down. He says, it's not just a dream anymore. Let me tell you plainly, clearly, so there's no confusion. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn your eyes to the one true God. Turn your eyes to Yahweh. He speaks clearly to him. And so he gets a dream. He gets Daniel as an interpreter of that dream. And then thirdly, actually before we do that, I mean, thirdly though, he says this, you get a year. You get a year. Did you catch that? Look back at verse 19. Or not 19, let's go to 28. 29. At the end of 12 months, 
he was walking on the roof of his palace. Twelve months. He gave him a year. It wasn't like he got a five-minute option. Nebuchadnezzar, will you turn? Will you bow the knee? Nope. Fine, you're going mad. Gave him a year. A year to turn his life around. A year to listen to the Lord. A year to really wrestle with these things. Look at the grace. Look at the mercy that God gives to Nebuchadnezzar. He gives him a year. But I doubt that's not how Nebuchadnezzar interpreted it. I imagine because of his pride, instead of seeing this as the mercy of God, he saw this as weakness. Oh, you see, that God didn't follow through with anything. Oh, the scaremongering of my Jewish boys. I mean, look, it just doesn't mean anything. Dreams are a dime a dozen. Look, I'm the great king. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. See, nothing actually happened, and he interpreted this mercy as a weakness. And look, I think some of us can fall prey to that as well. Have you ever been told that what you were doing is wrong, but we ignored that advice, and then nothing happened? You had that fear because you heard that sermon that one time. You heard that rebuke that one time, and you wondered, if I keep going, then the lightning's going to fall. But then you continue in your sin, and the lightning doesn't fall. And you're thinking, oh, I got away with it. Oh, wait a minute, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not all that big a deal. Ah, they were blowing this out of proportion. And we continue on in our sin, assuming that God doesn't really care about us. Look what Peter's going to say about this in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Can we be honest? It's been 2,000 years since those words were written. 2,000 years. And the enemy is going to speak to us and say, look, dude, clearly he didn't know what he was talking about. If Jesus was coming, he'd have come by now. If Jesus was going to come, he would have come before. Now, look, just all these preachers, the prophets, everybody else, they're just getting all in a tizzy, man. Just do whatever you want to do. Be the king or queen of your own kingdom. It does not matter. Please do not misinterpret God's patience as weakness. It's his mercy and his grace. He's giving us time. He is drawing us. He is wooing us. But there's a judgment that is coming. Did you hear that? The very next verse, please don't misunderstand. The judgment will come. Why would we ignore the incredible grace of God? But then finally of this, there's this whole incident where God doesn't simply kill Nebuchadnezzar. He drives him mad and gives him an opportunity to repent. Now that's going to seem terribly harsh to many of us. Imagine if this happened to you. Imagine this happened to someone that you love. And please understand that what God is doing here is a mercy. Dr. Robert Smith, who was my preaching professor at Beeson, I believe he is most likely the greatest living preacher. Uh, Dave Watson mentioned him a couple weeks ago during sabbatical, during his sermon as well. He taught both of us while we were at Beeson. Preached a sermon I will never forget, but he talked about the awful grace of God. We know about God's amazing grace, but what about his awful grace? This is the grace that God will sometimes give us to say, I am willing to wound you if it will ultimately heal you. 
It is the terrible grace of God that says, I am willing to allow you to suffer if it will ultimately save you. It's going to hurt. But his purpose isn't to hurt. His purpose is to heal. There's a friend uh, of C.S. Lewis's who went through a terrible tragedy in his life. He called it the severe mercy of God. The severe mercy of God who says, yes, I will at times allow you to go through suffering so that I can save you. Look, we know this intuitively, do we not? If you're a kid in the room, I imagine that you do not like to go to the doctor to get a shot. My daughter hates this, hates it. I'll be real honest, I'm not a fan myself. I'm not. I don't like them. But why, when you go to the doctor's office, do these people demand to poke you, to cause you pain, to help you? It's not to hurt you. It's to heal you. It's to help you. And this is exactly what our Lord loves us enough to do, that if we refuse to listen to reason, if we refuse the entreaties, if we refuse the easy ways to draw us back into righteousness, yes, at times he will give us a severe mercy and an awful grace that will break us in the hopes that we would repent to draw our eyes to heaven. And sure enough, as soon as Nebuchadnezzar does this, he lifts his eyes to heaven, God gives him back all that he had promised from before. And this ancient Babylonian king is here recorded giving praise to the one true God. And I wonder if we will as well. I don't know what kind of pride you're wrestling with, but I wrestle with it. And so do you. Because we all do. All of us wrestle with pride in some way, shape, or form, and in different ways throughout our life. And the antidote to this is to lift our eyes off of our kingdom and to bow the knee to the one true God. To the grand creator who makes us. To recognize that I am not the center of my own story, but I am a part of his that he is the only one who creates. He is the only one who holds history in his hands. He is the only one who can save me. And this God does not simply lob judgments down from on high. No, he actually loves me enough to send his son to come and live in the flesh. To come look me in the eye. To speak to me in words that I can understand. And then he sends his Holy Spirit to me, in me. To draw me, to pull me, to speak to me, to help me. He's even willing to go to the cross and die on my behalf. Knowing that I couldn't save myself. He does all of this. Why? So that I would be able to experience eternal life with him there is a God who is in heaven and he loves you he cares for you we are so broken by our sin that our pride turns us inward and if you and I are not careful we will simply live on our pretend paper thrones assuming that we actually have the power and the ability to reshape life how we wish and sooner or later we will be forced to recognize that there's a God who in heaven. Don't wait until a final judgment. Accept the discipline of the Lord that he might draw you into the life that is truly life. So do this while we bow your heads and close our eyes for just a moment. We're going to close in worship in just a second. I am so glad that today, everyone here, we've, we've made this choice. We've come here into this room. 
to give worship and praise to the Lord. We're grateful for all the gifts of the world, the gifts of, uh, of this nation, but, but there's only one person who deserves the fullness of my life, and it's the Lord. Yahweh, the one true God. It's Jesus Christ who gave his life for me and rose again having conquered death, who speaks to us even now. He's the only one. And that God loves you, chases us, speaks to us. He offers us grace time and again, chance after chance. And his purpose is that we would know him, that we would not have to suffer these things, that we would experience eternal life in him. I wonder if today the Lord is speaking to you to say, it's time to bow the knee. It's time to bow the knee. You are not the king or queen of your own kingdom. But there's a king worthy of worship. There's a king who loves you. There's a king who cares for you. Who even now is reaching out to you. Who gave his life for you. Who has offered you grace upon grace. Would you not turn your eyes to see that he is Lord and repent. Say you're sorry. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways. Stop making excuses for it. And repent that you might know the love, the blessing, the life of the God who made you. Or maybe today you need to have a conversation with somebody. And the Lord is speaking to you. He said, it's time to stop being silent. It's time to speak the truth in love, with grace, with tenderness and compassion. You're going to need to say the words. You're going to need to speak the truth. I wonder if today we might just surrender to that and say, God, I'm willing to speak. It's hard and it's not fun. We ask the Lord to guide us and we know that our hearts are guided by his love for us and our love for others. You can speak truth and we must so that they too can repent alongside of us and together we can worship the only God worthy. And so Father, help us, speak to us, encourage us. Father, I'm so grateful for the grace that you give when we are so proud, when we should be so humble. God, when you were so worthy and we just preen and pretend, you were so gracious and patient. Father, would you help us today to have open eyes so that we might repent, so we might turn to you and enjoy yet again life in you. And Lord, give us the courage when you ask us to speak to our brothers and sisters, to speak to those around us in love, your love. May we share the truth of your gospel, the joy of your life, with those who desperately need it. We love you, Lord. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up with me if you will. I'll be here up at the front if you want to pray. These altars are open. Come and pray today to the Lord. And let's lift up our voices in worship to the one who is worthy. Amen. Let's worship.